John chapter 13, verses 12 through 20, and let's go to the Lord asking His blessing on the reading and preaching of His Word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for this Scripture today. We ask that You would open our eyes and hearts to it, that we might see Christ, that our hearts and minds might be changed and sanctified more into His likeness. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Hear the word of the Lord now from John 13, verses 12 through 20. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he, that being Jesus, said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. May God bless the reading of his holy word and let his church say, Amen. Ed and Nell Oglesby were elderly, sweet church members of mine at my previous church. They lived in a nursing home. They were married, I believe, for 70 years. I enjoyed my visits with Ed and Nell, and Nell was particularly soft-spoken. And on one visit, I'll never forget, I was checking in on them. I would go and read a scripture and pray with them and see how they were doing and interact with them some. And I'll never forget, Nell leaned in to me and she, she very timid, soft-spoken voice, Pastor, I miss being at church. Pastor, I miss our home. And Pastor, I miss my bacon. I said, excuse me, Mrs. Oglesby, you miss your bacon? I miss my bacon. I just assumed maybe she was on high blood pressure medicine, a special diet or something like that. Uh... Her diet was restricted and excluded bacon. And she said, no, pastor, my bacon, my bacon. I I love to bake cakes and pies. I said, oh, you're baking. You miss your baking. She says, yes, I miss my bacon. And I used to bake for the church. She said, Ed's favorite chocolate cake. I've made it for decades. She said, I got to the point I didn't even need a recipe. She said, you know, 
I can't for the life of me remember how to make his cake right now. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus calls all Christians to serve because He has served every Christian. Our dear saints, like Ed and Nell Oglesby, exempt from Jesus' call to serve the kingdom of God and to serve the church? The answer is no. They are not exempt. How they serve may change. The manner in which they serve may change. But they are still called to serve. And in fact, every visit with them was so personally encouraging to me as not only did I have an opportunity to pray for them, but guess what they would do? They would pray for me. And pastoring that church, I needed every single one of their prayers. And it was always an encouragement to visit them and to know that they were continuing to serve the Lord there at Baptist Christian Village in Waycross, Georgia. If you know His love, the love of Jesus, then you share His love. If you have been cleansed by Jesus, then you go and you serve. And if you have been transformed by the Gospel of Jesus Christ, then you go and share the transforming good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single one of you this morning, if you are a Christian, you have a calling to serve the Lord because our Lord Jesus Christ has served you. So how can we withhold our service in the kingdom of God? I want to ask this question and answer it this morning from this passage of Scripture. Why is every Christian called to serve? The short answer is every Christian is called to serve because Jesus has served every Christian. Specifically, there's three answers to that question in detail, I'd like for us to look at this passage. Why is every Christian called to serve? Number one, I want you to see with me, because Christians have an example of service to follow. Christians have an example of service to follow. Do you see that here in verse 15 in this passage of Scripture? Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. And Jesus tells them explicitly, doesn't He? What does Jesus say? Look at verse 15. I have given you what? I have given you an example. I've given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Christians in our Lord Jesus Christ have an example of service to follow. That word example could also be translated a model or a pattern for us to follow. What Jesus has done in His service to the disciples, Christians are to do likewise. That's what Jesus is saying here in this passage of Scripture. And He asks them, do you understand what I have done to you? In verse 12, Jesus has washed their feet. He has served them. And the true meaning behind that was that 
Foot washing was pointing to the cross. It was Jesus' way of demonstrating His love, His sacrificial love to them, and demonstrating the cleansing that Jesus would give them from the cross. And so Jesus is asking them, do you understand this? Do you understand the significance of what's being done? Do you understand the example, the model, the model and the pattern that has been established for you? And that's what rabbis did in this culture, in this day and age. Their disciples would follow the rabbis around, not only listening and memorizing their teachings and their instructions, but also living similarly to the way their rabbis were. And look at what Jesus calls Himself there in verse 13. He says to the disciples, look at verse 13, you call Me what? Teacher and Lord. You call Me Teacher and Lord. You're My disciples. You've been following Me around. You've been living as I've been living. You've been listening to My teaching and My instructions. You've been memorizing them. You have seen My miraculous signs and wonders and miracles and they will soon be a witness to the cross and the resurrection. They've been following Jesus around and Jesus now hones in on that. And He tells them, You call Me Teacher and Lord. And what? You are right. You are right to call Me that. I have been giving you an example for you to follow. If then, I your Teacher and Lord, if I'm your Lord and Teacher, I've washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. What's Jesus saying? He is saying, you are to follow the pattern that I have established for you. You know, it wouldn't be very helpful, would it? If Jesus just told them, go and serve other people. If Jesus hadn't washed their feet, if He hadn't given them an example, and He just said, go and serve other people, be kind to them, be more loving to them, go and serve and do it because I told you to. Jesus could have done that, couldn't He? But then, what example would they look to for how they should serve? Then they would have an opportunity and an occasion to compare their service to one another. They might be able to compare their service to Judas and say, well look, I'm serving a whole lot better than Judas who steals money from Jesus' ministry. Or, I'm serving a whole lot better than Peter who denied Jesus three times? No. They're not to compare themselves to each other. They're not to compare their service to one another. In the manner in which they serve, they are to look to Jesus, their Teacher and their Lord, their perfect example, their perfect pattern of service. And they are to model their service after Jesus. One of the great joys I have of being your pastor is being a witness to the service that you provide to the Lord here. Right here in this church, right in the family where you're at, in the marriage where you're at, I see husbands working hard to provide and protect their wives and their children. I see wives and mothers working hard to 
nurture and care for their children and to build a, a loving home. I see church members teaching Sunday school and playing instruments and singing. I, I see others who are preparing the elements for the Lord's Supper. I see those who are setting out chairs and picking up chairs and setting out hymnals and gathering up hymnals at the end of church. I see so many of the different ways that all of you are serving. And it is such a joy to me to watch and witness this. And so many of you, you do this so faithfully with little to no recognition because you understand what this passage is teaching. That you serve for the glory of God. So as you do that, let me just give us all caution to three temptations for our service. Three temptations. Watch out for these temptations as you serve. First, watch out for the temptation. I've already stated this. Watch out for the temptation to compare your service to other people. Watch out to compare your service to other people. And this will lead you in one of two places. If you compare your service to other people, you might fall into the trap of pride. You might look at someone and say, well look, I obviously am a much better Christian than that person sitting on the other side of the church. I mean, I got here early, I, I helped do things, and, and I am much more busy serving the church than them. And so thereby, you fall into the trap of spiritual pride. Or, you might fall into the trap of despair. You might compare yourself to someone else who's serving and say, well look, I could never serve or give like that person is doing, so why bother? I, I won't even try. I'm, I won't even get started. I, I, I can't teach Sunday school like, like that person that I admire so much, so I won't, even, I won't even try. I won't even bother getting started. That's a temptation. The temptation of comparing ourselves. Aren't we serving in obedience to Christ for the glory of God? Don't compare your service to others. Number two, watch out for the temptation of withholding your service until you feel like the person to serve is worthy of your service. Now, if you could peel back and reveal the motives of my heart, sometimes you would see that that temptation is there in my own heart. And maybe it's there in your own heart too. You might be tempted to withhold serving someone. You might be tempted to withhold serving your husband or your wife or your friend or your children. You might be tempted withholding your service from them, waiting for them to be worthy of the service that God has called you to provide to them. But aren't we called to provide this servant's service in obedience to God? We're not serving based upon whether or not they are worthy of service. If Jesus had done that, He would have never washed the disciples' feet. He even washed Judas' feet, didn't He? Judas, who He knew who was going to betray Him. Jesus was willing to even wash Judas' feet, even though Judas was most undeserving. Number three, 
Watch out for the temptation to serve for the praise of people. Watch out for the temptation to serve for the praise of people. What does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? He cautions against your giving of offerings and your prayers of doing works of righteousness. And what does He tell them? Beware of doing that. Don't be like, when you pray, don't be like the Pharisees who, who love to stand on the street corners and pray. And when you give, don't be like the Pharisees who, who, love, to see, who love to have people see them give. When you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. When you pray, go in your closet in secret and pray. And when your Lord, who sees in secret, He will be the one who rewards you. But, if you do your acts of service, your acts of righteousness for the praise of men, there you have your reward. Don't we want the reward of God when we serve? So watch out for the temptation to serve for the praise of people. Jesus didn't serve for the praise of people, did He? He did everything that He might glorify His Father in heaven. And in Him, we as Christians have an example, don't we? We have an example of service that we are to follow. Why is every Christian called to serve? Every Christian is called to serve because Jesus has served every Christian. He has given us an example of service to follow. And number two, Christians have a command of service to obey. You and I, from the Lord Jesus Christ, have not just an example to follow, but we have a command of service that we are to obey. Look at verse 16. Jesus tells His disciples, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his what? His master. Jesus is comparing Himself to what? A master. And He commands His what? Servants what to do. Well, this isn't optional for the disciples. Jesus is giving them a command. This word servant could also be translated what? You know it. Slave. It's a favorite designation of some of the New Testament writers, isn't it? The Apostle Paul refers to himself as what? Paul. Slave of Jesus Christ. He uses that in Romans, Galatians, Philippians, and Titus. It's not just the Apostle Paul who refers to himself this way, but the Apostle James, Peter, Jude, and even the Apostle John in the book of Revelation refers to himself as a slave of Jesus. Slaves don't have any rights. They are called to go and serve in obedience to the command that they've been given. And that's what Jesus is telling the disciples. I'm your master. You're the servant. You're not greater than me. You are to do as I have commanded you. Jesus, however, promises blessing for them. Look at verse 17. If you know these things, what? You're what? You're blessed if you do them. You'll be blessed if you do them. We could translate that word happy. You'll be happy if you serve. If you obey me as the master, as I'm giving you instructions, you'll be happy in them. God will bless you. Who is it that we're serving when we serve? 
Just think about that for a moment. Who are we serving when we serve? Obviously, we're serving the individual that we're serving, but ultimately, we're serving Christ when we serve. Do you remember Jesus' instructions in Matthew chapter 25 when He talked about the return of Christ and the final judgment? And Jesus said that at the final judgment, all humanity will be gathered together and the righteous judge will separate all humanity into two categories. The righteous and the wicked. The sheep and the goats. The sheep and the righteous He will set on His right hand and the wicked, the goats, He will set on His left hand. To the righteous, He will look at them and He will extend this invitation to enter into the kingdom of God. And they'll be startled by this. They'll say, well, well, well why? And Jesus will tell them, won't He? When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you came to me. And when I was in prison, you visited me. And they'll say to Jesus, well, when did we see you like this, Lord? When did we see you hungry and naked and, and sick and, and in prison? When, when did we see you doing that? When did we do this for you, Lord? And the judge will tell them, if you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto whom? Unto me, Jesus is saying. When you and I serve, we are serving not just the individual, we are serving who? We're serving Christ, aren't we? To the wicked, He will look at them and He will cast them off into outer darkness and they'll be shocked by this. They'll say, well, well why? And Jesus will tell them it's the exact opposite for them. When I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. When I, was, when I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was sick, you didn't come to me. When I was in prison, you didn't visit me. And they will say, when did we do this, Lord? And Jesus will tell them, if you've not done it unto the least of these, you've not done it unto me. D.A. Carson wrote, there is a form of religious piety. Listen to this. There is a form of religious piety that utters a hearty amen to the most stringent demands of discipleship, but which rarely does anything about them. Those to whom Jesus is addressing in Matthew chapter 25, they would sit and hear a sermon like this and they would say, Amen to every single point of this sermon. And then they would leave these doors and do nothing about them. And I know what you might be thinking right now. Hold on a minute, Pastor. Are you saying that we're saved by works and not saved by grace? Because I know my Bible. I know my theology. The Scripture says that we're saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not saved by our works. And if you think that, you're right. We aren't saved by our works. We are saved by the perfect work of Jesus. We're saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His perfect work. But let me just challenge you for a moment. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 16, it explains that good works are, listen to this, fruits 
and evidences of a true and lively faith. No fruit, no evidence, no faith. Furthermore, the ability to do these good works are given to us wholly from the Spirit of Christ. So our ability to do good works as Christians does not come from us. It comes from the Spirit of God who is at work in us. And on that day of judgment, when we stand before the Lord and God looks upon the works that we do, He does not see them done imperfectly, because all of our good works are done imperfectly. He looks upon them and accepts them in His Son. The lack of of evidence of Christian service is the evidence of a lack of conversion. That's what Jesus is getting at here. As Christians, we have a command of service to obey, don't we? It's not optional for us. We are called to go and serve. Jesus is our Master and we are His servants. And we are to put shoe rubber, as the old preachers used to say. We're to put shoe rubber on this and walk it out in our lives and to be busy serving the Lord with the manner in which He's gifted us. Why is every Christian called to serve? First, because we have an example of service to follow. And second, because we have a command of service to obey. And lastly, I want you to see in this passage that Christians have a commission of service to fulfill. We have a commission of service to fulfill. Look with me back at verse 16. Jesus says, A servant isn't greater than his master, nor, look at verse 16, is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. This word messenger could be translated as apostle. Jesus is sending them out as His delegates. He is sending them out as His emissaries to go and to serve the world and to serve the church. Now, obviously there's distinctions we want to make. You and I are not apostles like Peter and Paul and, and John and the other disciples. We're not apostles in, in that way. But we are sent, aren't we? We are called to go and to serve in this passage. We have a commission of service that we're called to fulfill. And we're promised blessing if we busy ourselves fulfilling that commission that God has given us. Jesus pauses the discussion here in verse 18 to speak about Judas. I want us just to look at this for just a moment. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, I am not speaking of all of you. This is clear. He's speaking about Judas here. If we go back in this chapter, we'll see that it is already in the heart of Judas from the devil to betray Jesus. He's going to betray Him. And Jesus says here, I'm not speaking of all of you. Not all of you are commissioned to go and serve. That's what Jesus is saying. I know whom I have chosen. 
He says in verse 18, Judas hasn't been chosen to go and serve. He's the betrayer. He's going to betray Jesus. And Jesus even explains that this betrayal does not thwart the purposes of God, but rather fulfills Scripture. Jesus quotes from Psalm 41, verse 9, that he who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. This comes straight from Psalm 41.9. This is a psalm attributed to King David. And we think this psalm uh, was written about the time when Absalom betrayed his father and tried to take his throne. Absalom betrayed his father, tried to take his throne, uh, put together an uprising to overthrow his father. And one of David's closest advisors, an advisor named Ahithophel, he betrayed King David. Ahithophel would have sat at the king's table and broke bread with King David. He was, he was one of David's close advisors. He was one of David's friends. He was one of those who David put his trust in. And Ahithophel betrayed his king. And he sided with Absalom in the betrayal and in the uprising. And Jesus here, referring to that, says that there's another king who's been betrayed. It's King Jesus, the son of David. And this violation of Judas is so heinous because Jesus, Judas has been so close to Jesus. He's been part of the inner circle of twelve. He's been in the one following Jesus. And he would have said all the right things and, and, and followed along and learned all the teachings and was a witness to all the signs and miracles. And there was Judas breaking bread with Jesus, sharing the most tender, intimate moments with Jesus. And this is the one who has betrayed Jesus. And Jesus wants His disciples to know that He wants them to know beforehand this is going to happen so that when all this takes place, their faith will remain intact. They need to be prepared for it is what Jesus is saying in verse 19. Then He returns back to this commission. Look at verse 20, the conclusion of this passage. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives Me. And whoever receives Me receives the one who sent Me. So notice the progression here. The Father has sent the Son to serve, to humble Himself, taking the form of a servant, and to go to the cross and humble sacrificial service. He's, the Father has sent the Son, and the Son has obeyed, and now the Son is doing what? He is sending His messengers. And they're to go and serve. They have a commission of service that they are to fulfill. And so those who receive the service of the workers of Jesus receive Jesus. And those who receive Jesus receive the Father who sent Him. I learned in college, in seminary, and I even learned this in my 10 years working the state of Florida. Something called the Pareto Principle. Any of you ever heard of the Pareto Principle? Some of you are nodding your heads if you've been in any sort of organizational leadership. And here's the Pareto Principle. It's also known as what? The 80-20 Rule. What's the 80-20 Rule? The 80-20 Rule is this. 
80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. Or you might say it this way. 20% of the work is done by 80% of the people. Is that true in the church? Should it be true in the church? I learned this lesson the hard way when I was a little boy. Our church had gathered together for a potluck. And all the congregation, little church, gathered together in the fellowship hall. And the church ladies were busy in the kitchen and getting out all the casseroles and all the desserts and setting up the tables and, and, and everything. And then at some point in the preparation, one of the matriarchs gave the, gave the green light. You ladies know what I'm talking about, right? What does that mean? It means it's ready. Uh, pastor, call everybody to line up and... Say the blessing. Let's eat. I don't know how old I was. Maybe eight, nine, ten years old. I got so excited about this church potluck, I just jumped up and I, I ran to the front of the line right next to the buffet table and I think I said something idiotic like, me first. My father, my, my loving father, rushed over to me and I, he may have picked me up by both ears. I don't, I don't remember exactly, but I remember him pulling me aside and giving me a proper perspective on things. And I found myself not at the front of the line, but at the end of the line. And toward the, the end of that meal, I found myself with a trash can in hand going from table to table, sheepishly asking, are you done with your plate and your cup? Would you like to throw it away? What was my father teaching me? My father was teaching me that Christians have a commission of service to fulfill. We're called to serve. Jesus has served every Christian, and so every Christian is called to serve. And there's no age limit on this. Boys and girls, you can serve Jesus. If you're elderly, you can serve Jesus. If you're somewhere in between, you can serve Jesus. If you're single, you can serve Jesus. If you're married, you can serve Jesus. If you're a stay-at-home mom, you can serve Jesus. If you're in the military, you can serve Jesus. Wherever it is that the Lord has placed you, you can serve Him in some way, shape, or form. Our Savior has given us an example of service to follow. He's giving us a command of service to obey. And He's given us a commission of service that we're called to fulfill. And this morning, if you're listening to this sermon and you feel convicted in your soul and thinking, you know, there's more that I need to do to serve the Lord. Join the club. <laughs> I'm convicted by this sermon too. I want us just to think about and imagine the blessing that it is when every Christian really and truly grasps hold of this idea of serving and the example of Christ 
in obedience to Christ, to fulfill the commission from Christ. Think about a blessing it would be to our homes and our families. Think about the blessing that this would be to your children, to your marriage, to your job. Think about the blessing it would be to our congregation, to our church. As every individual says, I'm going to find a place to serve because I have a loving Savior who so graciously served me. Let's go to the Lord now and ask Him to stir up our hearts that we might more fervently serve Him. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for our Savior Jesus Christ who humbled Himself to serve us on the cross. And we look to Him as a perfect example of how we ought to serve and we know that we fall far short. Forgive us for this sin. We look to Him and we know that we have a command of service that we've been disobedient to. Forgive us for this sin. We look to Christ and we hear a commission that You have called us to fulfill and and we know in our own hearts that we've not been faithful to fulfill that commission as we ought. Please forgive us for these are many sins. We pray that You would stir up in our hearts greater fervency to serve You. May we be found when Christ returns busy not with the affairs that just concern us, but may He find us busy in service for the King. And may we take every reward that You give us on that day, and may we lay them at the feet of Christ, for whom we did all things for His glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.